doing today? Hey, it's, uh, it's so good to see you. So good to be here with you. I hope that all is well. If we've, if, if we've never been in the same room before, my name's Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So it's good to see you. Uh, clearly, there is a problem. And some of you type A people are going crazy right now. You are such a control freak. You don't know a thing about audiovisual, but you are about to get up from your seat and go find somebody, fire them, and try and fix it yourself. So here's the thing, something is out of sync. The audio and video, when they aren't synced up, can be really uncomfortable, right? That was intentional, by the way. When, when things don't sync up, you know what happens? You know what the result is? The, the words coming out of my mouth don't match my movements. And the reason I tell you that is because what I want to do this morning is I just want to step in today and say, hey, is there, is there something out of sync with us? It's possible that our movements are not synced up, not necessarily with our words, although that might be true. It's possible that our words and our actions don't match, but what I'm concerned about this morning is that our movements don't match God's words, that God has spoken, and that God has shown us what he cares about most through the words that he, have, he has given us through this book, and our movements are not responding or in sync with his words. And there's a lot of different directions I could go, but this morning, where I am most worried that we are out of sync with God is when it comes to God's heart for the nations. And so what I wanna do this morning is I just wanna make sure that we are synced up, that our heart is synced up with God's heart, that God has spoken through his word, he has communicated to us his heart for the nations, and I just wanna make sure that our movements are synced up with his words when it comes to the nations. And so my soul goal this morning is to reveal to you God's heart for the nations, and I'm going to do it by walking you through Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 is where we're going to be. If you've been with us for a while, you might be thinking, I I thought we were studying Genesis. We are studying Genesis, and I'm going to show you how what we're talking about this morning has everything to do with where we've been in Genesis, but for now... I want to take you to Revelation 7, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And before we even read it, I just want to let you know, I have two points that I need you to grasp this morning. Okay, two two truths. They are two truth statements. They are sentences. So if you're someone who is into teaching points, you're going to be like, why are you giving me sentences? I need bullet points. Now I'm going to give you two sentences and then I'm going to break them down into bullet points. Here's the first true statement. Heaven will be filled with the nations because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. The second truth that we're going to see this morning is this. God has eternal plans for the nations. Therefore, our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. Two true statements, I'm gonna repeat them a lot during the day, and the goal is for us to take each of those sentences and break them down into two separate parts, okay? Revelation chapter seven, let me read you verses nine through 17. Here's what it says. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger. No more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We're reading from the book of Revelation. That word revelation, it's the Greek word apocalypsis, which is where we get our word apocalypse from. What's interesting is the word revelation, it means unveiling. Which means that the book of Revelation exists to reveal something to us. That might sound surprising because if you've ever tried to read the book of Revelation, it feels like the book is trying to conceal more than it's trying to reveal. Because it can be really difficult to understand. But Revelation exists to reveal something to us. Today, what it is revealing to us in chapter 7 is God's heart for the nations. Now, when you hear me use the phrase or the word nations, I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about the roughly 200 countries that the United Nations uh, acknowledges. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about people groups. And if you're not familiar with people groups, let me just tell you, a people group is a, obviously a group of people, but here's what is true about them. They share the same language the same dialect of that language, the same traditions, ancestry, history, location, and religion, okay? People estimate that there are anywhere between 11,000 and 24,000 people groups in the world. And when Revelation 7 says that there will be people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, it is talking about people groups, which means that it is God's intention for there to be people from every people group on the planet in heaven one day. And so what I need to do is I need to just show you God's heart for the nations, and my hope is that today might shape your trajectory in the way that you engage with the nations. The first true statement that I want you to lock in with is this, heaven will be filled with the nations because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. So let's just break it apart. Let's start with the reality that heaven will be filled with the nations. Where do I get that from? I get that from verse nine. Did you see what it said? It said, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So John gets a vision of the throne room of God, and what does he see? He sees heaven filled with the nations. And I think it's really interesting that he says that there's a great multitude that no one could number. If you watched college football yesterday, then it didn't matter what game you were watching. At some point, the announcers indicated how many people were in attendance at that game. So it's amazing that tens of thousands of people, almost 100,000 people can gather in a stadium and we can document down to the person how many people are gathered. Okay, the the largest gathering in the history of the world has been estimated to be about 120 million people gathering together. So we can either estimate attendance or we can be very exact with attendance, but John gets a vision of heaven, the throne room of God, and it's clear, hey, you would be a fool to even try and estimate how many people are there. It is a great multitude that no one could number, and it is a gathering made up of the nations, people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now, if that is true, Here's the implication, and some of y'all aren't going to like hearing this, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, 
what that means is that God is not partial to our nation. Like he is not partial to America. If, if your vision of heaven is a bunch of white people singing Hillsong United, like you've got the wrong heaven. Like if when you picture heaven, like all of the people from other nations that don't speak English, if in your picture of heaven, they're all wearing those museum headphones that translates the service for them because English has to be the predominant language in heaven, like you've got, you've got the wrong heaven. God isn't partial to our nation. He's actually passionate about every nation. Like one source documented at least 85 different passages in the Bible that expose God's heart for the nations. I'll just give you two. Psalm 46.10, what does it say? It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 96, verses two and three, it says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Watch this. Declare his glory, where? Among the nations. His marvelous works among all. All the people. God is not partial to our nation. He is passionate about every nation. And it's interesting because if you were to go and look at statistics, it would almost appear that God's movement is more aggressive outside of the United States than it is inside of the United States. It would almost seem that God is moving in more significant ways outside of the United States. I shared some of these stats with you a few months ago, but I just wanna put them back on your radar just to make sure that you grasp how God is moving outside of the United States. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands, some say more than one million Christians in Iran. It is one of, if not the fastest growing church in the world right now, and it is a country where you can be killed for being a Christian. Nepal is one of the only Hindu majority countries in the world. In 1950, there were no reported Christians. Today, people estimate that there are one to three million Christians, and some have considered Nepal one of the fastest growing churches today. In 1975, there were estimated 2.7 million Christians in China. Today, or a few years ago, the Houston Chronicle estimated that by 2030, so eight years from now, there will be more Christians in China than in the United States. Today, more Christians live in Africa than in any other continent. By 2050, Africa will be home to almost 1.3 billion Christians. But God is moving. He is moving among the nations. Does he care about our nation? Of course. But he is passionate about every nation. That's why I tell you, heaven will be filled with the nations. And because of that, I cannot encourage you enough to just make it a priority to get out of the United States sometimes to see what God is doing elsewhere. What I'm not talking about is just vacationing abroad. Some of you are like, check, let's do that. Sounds great, thank you, pastor. <laughs> what I'm talking about is I'm talking about um, intentionally going and seeing what God is doing among other believers in the nation. Like, you, you need to experience worshiping with other people who are singing to the same God but in a different language. You need to study the Bible with people who have the same Bible, but they're reading from right to left. And um, they've got just as many highlights as you do, and their Bible is just as worn out as yours is, but they worship and hear from the same God, but in a different language. Like, I encourage you to go someplace and just interact with people who have literally never heard the name of Jesus. Like, put it on your bucket list. See how many different languages you can worship in before you get to heaven and worship people, or not worship people, but worship God alongside people worshiping God in every language. I've had the privilege of worshiping with people who were singing in a, 
in Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic. And every time I've had that privilege, it feels like I'm tasting heaven. So let me just encourage you, taste as much of heaven before you actually go there. Get around, get around the nations. Heaven will be filled with the nations. Why? Because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. Where do I get that from? I get that from verse 10. Look back at it. So this great multitude of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, what are they doing? Verse 10, they're crying out with a loud voice. And what are they What are they proclaiming? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the Lamb. They are declaring his salvation. Now, what I want to show you is exactly how Jesus secured salvation for the nation. So if you will, turn back one page to Revelation chapter 5. This is where John gets another vision of the throne room of God. And this is an extremely powerful scene in the scriptures. This is going to show us exactly how Jesus Christ secured salvation for the nations. It says this in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And so all eyes on me. This is such such a powerful scene because uh, John finds himself in the throne room and he sees God holding a scroll, and the text is really clear that the scroll has writing on both sides of it, but the scroll is sealed, and an angel is asking a question, who's worthy to break the seals and and to open the scroll? And John begins to weep because it appears that no one is worthy to open the scroll. Now, what is the scroll? What's in the scroll? Well, commentator Sam Storms explains that the scroll contains Three things, the content, the course, and the consummation of history. So the scroll explains how things will end for both Christians and non-Christians. It tells us who wins and how. It explains how God will save us. And if no one can open the seals, then the human race is doomed to destruction. So the question is, is anyone worthy to to bring God's plan of salvation to fulfillment. It appears that there is no one who can do that, and John begins to weep. But then look at what happens in verse 5. It says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so this, this elder, this angelic being, interacts with John and says, hey man, you don't, you don't need to cry. It's actually okay because there is one who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. What was the prerequisite for being able to open the scroll? It, the prerequisite was conquering. And Jesus is the one who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. Why? Because he has conquered. What did he conquer? He conquered Satan's sin and death as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, this is, this is beautiful because John turns expecting to see a lion. But what does he see? Verse 6. In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... I saw, it wasn't a lion, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so here's what I need you to see. Who is Jesus? He's he's the lion of the tribe of Judah who conquered. How did he conquer as a lamb that was slain? So this is so interesting because Jesus conquered, but how did he conquer? 
seemingly by being conquered. And so this is, this is such a beautiful reality because Jesus is the lamb, like he is our Passover lamb. That takes us back to the book of Exodus when God was leading his people out of captivity to Egypt. He commanded them to slaughter a lamb and take its blood and paint it on the doorpost of their home so that when the angel of death swept through Egypt, it would pass over their homes. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is as if the blood of Jesus Christ is being painted on the doorpost of your heart so that the wrath of God passes over you because Jesus endured the wrath of God for you and for me. And so what is happening in this text is that God is inviting us to see Jesus in a way that we don't normally see him. He's inviting us to see Jesus as the lion-like lamb and the lamb-like lion. John Piper explains it beautifully. He says this. He, talking about Jesus, came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday like a king on the way to a throne. And he went out of Jerusalem on Good Friday like a lamb on the way to the slaughter. He drove out the robbers from the temple like a lion devouring its prey. And then at the end of the week, he gave his majestic neck to the knife and they slaughtered the lion of Judah like a lamb. So he conquered sin and death and Satan, not just because he was a lion, but because he was a lamb-like lion. One commentator explained the great paradox. The almighty king overcame all his enemies as his enemies seemingly overcame him. Jesus achieved victory not by the sword but by sacrifice. He conquered by being conquered. What was the result? Look at verse seven. Because the Lamb of God was slain, verse seven, he went, he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. So the result of Jesus being the lion-like lamb and the lamb-like lion is that he is He is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and to bring God's plan of salvation to completion. He's worthy, why? This is amazing, here it is, don't miss it. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Do you see it? Heaven will be filled with the nations. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, has secured salvation for the nations. The second true statement that I invite you to get your heart and mind around is this. God has eternal plans for the nations Therefore, our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. Okay, God has eternal plans for the nations, so let's just start there. God has eternal plans for the nations. Where do I get that from? We'll turn back over to Revelation chapter 7. Remember, in this vision, John is seeing a great multitude of all nations. Verse 13, then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? So this is most likely an angelic being who's talking to John and he asks him a question. Let me just give you a good rule to live by. Anytime an angel asks you a question, like if you ever find yourself in that scenario where an angel is talking to you, asking you a question, you respond how John did. How did John respond? Verse 14, I said to him, sir, you know. Like, that's how you respond when an angel asks you a question. You're like, hey, angel, let's not play games. You know. You know. Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Now, people debate who this is talking about. 
But let me just say, I, I think that the important thing here is we need to see this group of people as, as everyone from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. And what we are about to see is that for all of eternity, the nations will enjoy God's presence, his protection, and his provision. So I just want you to see the eternal plans that God has for the nations. It says these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So you're talking about the presence of God doing a purifying work in those of every nation, which is so important because when you, when you think about um, when you think about what God is doing, when you think about who in this world desperately needs Jesus, the majority, in the, pe- the majority of the people in the world who have yet to hear the gospel live in regions of the world where the predominant religion is a religion based on performance, that, if, that you have to earn God's favor. And yet a day will come when many of those people who have lived under the oppressive oppressive rule of a religion that declares that you perform for God in hopes that he will accept you, one day people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will experience the joy of being washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. That that they will be accepted by God, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. That salvation isn't something that you earn through performance, it's something that you receive as a gift. And so let me just stop real quick and say, if you're here this morning and you would consider yourself a religious person, but, it, but if you were to just think, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? If your plan is to cross your fingers and hope that your spiritual activity or your moral living is enough for God, I just want to lovingly tell you, I can tell you from now, it won't be enough. Like, let's figure that out now. Before you find yourself in that moment, let me just lovingly tell you, it will not be enough. It will not be enough. Why? Because the scriptures are clear. By works of the law, no one will be justified. There is none who does good, not even one. That's Romans chapter three. Salvation only comes because of God's grace received through faith. You cannot earn your way into heaven. The good news is you don't have to. You don't have to spend your life trying to be good enough for God. The good news is God has come to you. He has been good enough for you. Receive the person of Jesus Christ and allow his righteousness to be credited to your account. A day is coming where people from every nation will enjoy the presence of God and they will be washed clean by his blood. Verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will, watch the word, he will shelter them with his presence. He will shelter them. That, that word, it, it feels protective, that that God will be present with, with his people from every nation. He will shelter them. And the reason that that is so beautiful is you, you think about every nation in the world that has been torn apart by war. One day, people from those nations will experience peace for all of eternity because of Jesus. You think about where human trafficking flourishes in this world. I mean, it is alive and well in the United States, but the places where human trafficking is exploding the most, it's in the places where the gospel is yet to go. And yet a day is coming where those who have been trafficked will be free for all of eternity. Why? Because they'll be sheltered by the presence of God. God has eternal plans for the nations. You know, if you were to go and just look at statistics, do you know where it's just interesting that the greatest amounts of poverty in our world, the places where people are, where starvation is the greatest reality, the place where human trafficking is most aggressive in our world, it is the places 
where the gospel is yet to go. And yet, God has eternal plans for the nations. And so verse 16 says, they shall hunger no more. So those who have starved on this side of eternity will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Their souls will be satisfied spiritually and physically. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Why? For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will be He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, the wording here is so similar to Revelation 21 and 22. What we're getting is a picture here of the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth. God has eternal plans for the nations. People from every tribe, tongue, people in nation will come and their their souls will be satisfied. They will find rest in the presence, the provision, and the protection of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so, if God has eternal plans for the nations, what does that mean for us? Here's what it means. Our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. That's what it means. Our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. What's interesting is I I told you earlier that it would seem that God is moving even more aggressively outside of the United States and inside the United States. But while there is the greatest movement, at the exact same time, there is the greatest need. While, while there is the greatest movement among the nations, there is also the greatest need among the nations. I want to show you a map that maybe you're familiar with. It was produced by the Joshua Project. And this map just, it basically shows the progress of the gospel in our world. So wherever you see green on the map, that indicates that there is a significant movement of the church and the gospel. Where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in the green. Where are the places that we tend to go if we go on a mission trip? It tends to be the places in the green. What does the yellow mean? It means that the It means that there is a presence there, there might be a church presence, the gospel has gone there, but in terms of people recognizing the truth or holding to the truth, embracing the truth, it's waning. The red indicates that there is is no organized gospel movement at this time, which means that In the red, either the gospel has not gone there yet, or so few people know the gospel that nothing organized is taking place right now. Okay, so if you look on the map, it's really, it's it's known as the 1040 window, which involves, you know, uh, Northern Africa, the Arabian Peninsula, and the majority of Asia. And so here's what I need you to understand, please don't miss it, okay? There are over three billion people in the world today who have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are entire people groups comprised of millions of people. I want you to think about this. And out of those millions of people in that people group, not one person has ever even heard the name of Jesus. That should be sobering for us. That should be devastating to us. That there are that many people in this world, over three billion people, who have either little access to the gospel or literally no access to the gospel at all. The fact that there are billions of people in this world who have never been introduced to the person of Jesus Christ, that should do something to us. Now, our tendency can be, well, you know what, the Christians, wherever they are, they just need to be faithful where they are. The problem is there are no Christians there to be faithful to share the gospel. And so we have to get our minds and hearts around the fact that if God has eternal plans for the nations, then our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. Now, there are a few Thoughts that can crop up that are truly just out of sync with God's heart for the nations. Like, 
you might be here and you might be hearing this message and you, something in you still thinks this message is for someone else. It's for everyone here. It is for every person here. Like this isn't just for the, for the, the, the weird person who's like, I don't like America and I want to go live somewhere else. Like no, this is it's for everyone. And so some people's tendency might be to think, you know what, I don't feel called to reach the nations. I feel called to reach people here in the United States. That sounds good. Or maybe you think, why would I go to the other side of the world when there are people next door that need the gospel? That, that sounds good. Or here's the thought, why should we focus on reaching those internationally when we haven't successfully reached people locally? All of that logic, it sounds good, but let me just, let me say this. We cannot look in the scriptures and point to a verse that tells us that it is God's plan to save every single person in Dallas. The closest we can get is is Timothy who tells us that God desires all men and women to be saved. But we can't look at one verse and say, it is God's plan that every single person in Dallas is saved. But we can open to Revelation 7, we can turn to Revelation 5, and we can be confident that it is God's plan and purpose to save at least one person from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So if there are entire people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus, then it makes no sense for us to turn our eyes and only focus on Dallas when there are people who have never heard of Jesus. When we do that, we are ignoring God's commission to us through Jesus. What does Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tell us? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Like if you want If you want God to call you to care about the nations, good. He just did. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some of y'all are like, man, what, what happened to Genesis? This has everything to do with Genesis. Last week we talked about the image of God. You know, when you lift your eyes to the nations, you know what you're doing? You're acknowledging the image of God in the nations. But it's interesting in Genesis 1, verse 28, which is the verse after what we read last week, you know what God says to Adam and Eve? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Some people think that Matthew 28 is the New Testament counterpart to Genesis chapter one. What does it look like to be fruitful and to multiply? Make disciples. What does it look like to fill the earth? Make disciples of all nations. What does it look like to subdue the earth? you baptize people, and you teach them to do what? To obey everything that Jesus has commanded. See, God's plan should inform our plans. Therefore, our plans must involve discipling the nations. Do you remember how awkward it was at the beginning of today when my words and my movements didn't match? Well, may we not leave here today being people whose movements don't match the words of God. Okay, heaven will be filled with the nations. Why? Because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. God has eternal plans for the nations. Therefore, our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. So, what do we do with a message like this? I just want to encourage you to do four things. And these are for everyone. Number one, I want to invite every person in this room to begin to pray regularly and fervently for the nations. Pray regularly and fervently 
for the nations. And I'll give you a really practical way to do it. A few years ago, I was introduced to an app on the phone called Unreached of the Day. Unreached of the Day. It's put out by the Joshua Project. And just each day, you can open up that app. And the Joshua Project highlights one people group that is considered unreached. And it'll tell you exactly how to pray for that people group. And so, what does that look like for the Atits? Well, every morning before my kids go to school, we just gather in our living room very quickly, and I hand my phone to one of my kids who will look at who the people group is of the day, and we take one minute and pray for that people group. So I just want to invite you, do it with your friends or your roommates, your community group, your your kids, whoever it is, like begin to pray together for the nations. Parents, I would encourage you to take the map that I just showed this morning. You can find it at the Joshua Project's website. Show it to your kids. Give them a vision for the gospel and where it's needed on the earth. Pray regularly and fervently for the, for the nations. Number two, give generously and sacrificially to those reaching the nations. Like I would encourage you that to be invested financially in, in someone or, that is leveraging their life for the sake of the gospel among the unreached. Give generously and sacrificially to those reaching the nations. Number three, engage the nations here in Dallas. The nations are are actually right here in Dallas. Like UTD has one of the largest populations of international students. You know, 75% of those international students will never be invited into an American's home. We can change that. I mean, we have 120 of those international students in home groups, and we need more volunteers. So if you want to invest in some college students, some international students, we'd love to help you do that. One of our ministry partners for the nations is reaching about 700 refugees right now. Many of those refugees are here from closed countries, meaning that the gospel is not welcome in their country. And you know what? For the nations has reached out to us asking for more volunteers. So if you want to get involved with the nations right here in Dallas, we can help you do that. And then number four, seek out an opportunity to go to the nations. Like we have short-term trips here. We have long-term partners abroad. We'd love to find a way for you to go and at least get a vision for what God is doing. But I'll just tell you this. My hope is that there's somebody here this morning and God is planting a seed in your heart that your heart is being awakened to the need for the gospel in those who have never heard it. And so something in you right now is beginning to think God might be calling me to go. And you might uproot from Dallas and you might move to somewhere where the gospel has never gone so that you can be the first person to introduce someone to Jesus. Wherever you're at, I remember being a college student and hearing a college pastor tell me this. He said, you're either praying, giving, going, or disobeying. We, we want to be fully synced up. Fully synced up. We want our movements to match God's words. One of the best ways that we can get synced up with God is simply by praying to him. So we're gonna do that now as a body. We're gonna pray together. I wanna invite my friends Mickey and Tobin up. Mickey is one of our elders here at the church. Tobin is our director of global engagement. This morning I've stood up here just to reflect the heart of the leadership and the elders of the church. And now we're just gonna take a moment and we are going to pray for the nations so that our hearts are synced up with God's. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we love you. And I just thank you for the reminders again uh, this morning from TA, from your word. Lord, you're the light of the world. I thank you that you 
paid for sin, that you conquered death, that you gave us a new hope and a new life, a life now, a life forever with you and each other. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be complacent, that we would not be entitled, that we would not be static and keep your light to ourselves. Lord, we know you call us to be a light in this world. You call us to let our light shine before others that they can see your good works and glorify you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to live that out here where you placed us, here in Dallas, uh, with so many around us who don't know you. Lord, you placed us in so many communities in Dallas, Lake Highlands, Richardson, Park Cities, Rockwall, so many different neighborhoods, so many different jobs, so many different friend groups. Help us to be faithful to steward those relationships. And Lord, you, you placed us in a city where so many people of the world come Come here to live alongside us, Lord, where, like T.A. was saying, we have the opportunity to share you, to, to live life with so many men and women that grew up in places that had little to no access with you. Lord, I, I, I just, I pray for all those who even worship with us today who are from countries like India, uh, from Kenya, from Venezuela, from Ethiopia, um, from uh, Iraq, from Romania, from Poland, and so many other countries, Lord, that you've brought uh, to our city. Help us to look uh, for those who we would normally look past. Help us to see their needs. Help us to have a heart that reaches out to serve them and, and walk along with them, to invite them into our homes. But I pray that we don't start with their physical needs, stop with their physical needs. Lord, help us to share the light of your gospel with them. Lord, we know that you call us not just to love, but also to share the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ with them. And we know that your word says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. So help us to share words of life in, your, in the gospel. Help us to live out transformed lives that resonate with the message that we share and help us to walk patiently with those who aren't ready to receive you yet. Uh, but still need to be loved and hear more about you. And we acknowledge, Lord, it is your power that changes hearts and it is for your glory that help us to be faithful as we walk with you today. Father, the Archbishop of Canterbury once said that when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't. And I just come before you uh, as a person, I just need to confess and repent. Uh, so little that I pray for the world and for the nations and for our missionaries overseas. And well, I'm going I'm to pray for our church. I, I, I think we need to confess that we have not uh, had your heart and we have not seen what you're doing and we haven't joined you in ways that you've called us to for such a time as this. And so, I, Lord, I just ask, beg your forgiveness. Pray that you would heal us as a church and give us a vision, your vision, for what you're doing all around the world. Lord, I pray for our missionaries in South America, hard, hard territory and land and the soil, so much traditions and things that are just kind of left behind of works and people have turned away from the church and the church there is probably more insignificant than any other time in the history of many of these countries there. And when I pray for our missionaries there, I pray that you'd give them grace. I pray that you'd give them peace, that they would see your hand moving, that they would know that the only hope is Jesus, and that they would share that hope continually, even in the dark and hard times. Lord, your word says in 2 Corinthians that the reason people can't see is because their hearts and their eyes have been blinded by the evil one, and so we pray that your spirit would move and crush the strongholds there. Lord, I pray for our missionaries in the Middle East. What a place of pain and hurt and sorrow and darkness. Pray for them as they love and work and serve and point people to Jesus. Pray that the people around them would see that the only prophet without sin, Jesus, is more than a prophet, but he's God who's come to bring them from darkness. Pray that you'd watch over them and protect them, and we pray that we would see this amazing fruit of lives changed. Lord, I pray for missionaries in Indonesia. Again, probably the largest Muslim country in the world. Oppression and darkness and poverty and they have just been there chugging away, some of them by themselves, because they can't find anybody to come on their team with them. Loving and teaching and nurses and doctors um, in, the middle of, in the middle of a battlefield. 
and yet your spirit is moving and changing lives for eternity, bringing people from darkness to light. And what I pray for us as a church, that we would be a church that would realize what you're doing in our midst and that we would join you, that we'd realize that you've called us to be people who listen to your voice and to follow you for such a time as this. Lord, help us. We love you. Friends, I want to invite you just to take a moment in the quietness of your own heart and just allow the Lord to speak in. Would you just invite him to speak to you now and, and even just to say, God, I, I want my heart to be synced up with your heart regarding the nations. So wherever my heart has been calloused, wherever I have not listened, God, have your way in me. So I just want to invite you to take a moment Ask God to sync your heart up with his and then ask him to use you to make disciples of the nations. Lord, I pray that you would disciple the nations through the people of Watermark Community Church. I pray that this week, many of us would take steps to engage with the nations that are right here in Dallas. Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes to begin to see the image of God in those that live on the other side of the globe. Lord, I pray that you would raise up people from this body that would uproot from Dallas to go to the nations and take the gospel where it is not yet gone. Lord, we just, we acknowledge, we affirm heaven will be filled with the nations because you, Jesus, have secured salvation for the nations. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we celebrate you as the lion-like lamb and the lamb-like lion. I thank you that you conquered, Lord Jesus, by allowing yourself to be conquered. That is how you made a way for every one of us to come into right relationship with you. And it is because of the blood of the Lamb that one day we will celebrate you and worship alongside people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We love you, Lord Jesus. You are worthy indeed. And we sing to you now. Let's stand together and let's sing the words that we just read from the scripture. <laughs> 